Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant. We welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers and hope you're enjoying your weekend. In just a few minutes, Keeneland President Shannon Arvin joins us to talk about the fall meet that's underway and the excitement of hosting the Breeders' Cup World Championships in November. But first, Election Day is coming up in November on the 8th, and there's early voting before that. Some are already voting by absentee. It is a key election year. Kentuckians will select a U.S. Senator, members of the U.S. House, the state legislature and lots of local offices and judgeships. There are also two constitutional amendments on the ballot that voters can approve or reject. Secretary of State Michael Adams will be overseeing the election process. He's joining us to talk about that vote and we welcome the Secretary of State. Thanks for coming. Appreciate it very Thank much. You. Well, uh, this is a, a key election year, as we said. There's a lot on the ballot. This is a, uh, an extraordinarily long ballot. Uh, people are seeing that when uh, even they're being sent out to the absentees, right? As far as I can tell, this is the longest ballot we've ever had in Kentucky. You've got a U.S. Senate race, you've got U.S. House races, you've got legislative races, you've got every county race in the state, you have city races, council, mayor, and so forth, uh, every judge almost in the state, and then below all of that, you have two constitutional amendments. And this is now an election where, under a Supreme Court ruling, we have to spell out every word in the amendment on the ballot. We can't just summarize it like we used to. The first amendment alone on this ballot is 744 words long. My hope is that voters will actually read the whole thing before they vote on it. <laughs> that is amendment one, and, right. uh, and that has to do with uh, the legislature having the ability to call itself in, essentially. That's right. To summarize, uh, this would give the legislature not additional authority uh, or days, uh, but give them the ability to reserve some days in case of an emergency they could uh, convene and come back in without having the governor call them into session. But as, again, as you said, it is pretty extensive, and you would, I take it, encourage people to know what they're going to do on that before they get there, because uh, it could take quite a while, and, and people try to move the, the polling place along, right? Yeah, we want to avoid long lines, and actually, as a matter of law, you get two minutes in the booth to vote. That's not enough time to read one of these amendments, let alone the rest of the ballot. So we do encourage voters to go to our website, sos.ky.gov. You can look at your sample ballot and study up before you go to the polls. Amendment 2 is uh, simply worded, but uh, also uh, might carry a lot of weight. Uh, it essentially asks Kentuckians if they want to put abortion in the state constitution, and it appears the state Supreme Court is awaiting the decision of the voters before they render their decision about whether they're going to enforce Kentucky's uh, trigger law, the ban yeah, on abortion. I, I appreciate the Supreme Court doing that, letting the people speak on this issue before they take it up uh, themselves. Uh, what we've not seen in Kentucky so far, at least, is a lot of voter engagement on this issue. Uh, in Kansas, which is actually a smaller state than Kentucky, $22 million was raised and spent roughly equally between the two sides on the issue. In Kentucky, there only has been about $2 million raised on both sides of the issue. Unless there's a, a major fundraising effort on one side or the other, I don't see this issue driving turnout to the polls, in which case this will be a pretty sleepy election, I think. So what does drive turnout in, in, in the election year like this one, where you have the U.S. Senate race, those constitutional matters on the ballot, and uh, local races? Well, the number one thing that drives turnout is campaigns and candidates. Uh, I'm really proud that we've done so much to make voting accessible. What really, though, drives the turnout is people want to vote. 
they're driven by a like of or a dislike of somebody on the ballot or an issue on the ballot. Uh, the Senate race has been pretty sleepy so far. Uh, other races at the top of the ticket have been sleepy so far. The big question is, can the bottom of the ticket drive the turnout? In Kansas, it did. But without that kind of paid messaging component, I don't really see that kind of effort here. Why is turnout uh, so low among younger voters in particular? Uh, this is something that you really see across the board. It's not just limited to voting. Uh, young people are just not joiners. Uh, this younger generation, uh, they don't join organizations, they don't join churches, they don't engage civically and volunteer the way that their parents' generation did or their grandparents' generation did. And that's a big issue that we're going to be facing going forward in our state is what happens to the private sector, the civic sector uh, that's so responsible uh, for, for progress in our commonwealth. Uh, not everything can be done by the government. There's got to be a lively private and civic sector. But they're really letting the, the older generation make the decisions for them, aren't they? Well, yeah, there's a reason why uh, you have uh, old age pensions and old age programs very well funded and other programs not quite so much because older folks vote. Let's talk about the mechanics of this uh, this particular election. For those who are returning absentee ballots, uh, they have to do that by election day. Uh, there's been a little bit of uh, confusion about postage, a change from 2020 when I guess in response to COVID, the state covered those costs. Now you have to put, what, two stamps on there? This is, as we said, a very long ballot. It's a heavy piece of paper. Uh, it's a heavy envelope. We've got very thick, secure paper envelopes to make sure voters' uh, choices are kept secret. So all that ups, uh, adds up to a very heavy ballot envelope. So we do encourage voters to put two stamps on those. Uh, from 1945, when we, in our Constitution, created a right to absentee voting, through 2019, when I was on the ballot, the state did not pay for postage. In 2020, we were begging voters to please vote absentee because of COVID. Uh, so we paid for it. But we don't have the resources now to pay for that. Uh, we have defaulted back to voters being responsible for their own postage. If you don't have a uh, dollar ten or a dollar twenty to stamp your envelope, then just bring it to the drop box that we provided for you. Are you uh, hearing some are being returned? Because on social media, there's some uh, we've buzz got a, about that. We've gotten a number of anecdotal reports, and here's the good news: there's plenty of time. Put another stamp on it and mail it back. There's plenty of time. Just make sure that you get it back to our hands no later than 6 p.m. on election day. All right, now, so that's for absentees, and then uh, people can apply for that until the 25th, right? And then the military, November 1. That's, that's right. We now do absentee ballots through a portal. We have a separate one for military overseas voters, but most voters in Kentucky will use the portal at govote.ky.gov. It's really convenient. Not only can you apply for your ballot there, we can actually track your ballot, and so can you, so you can see where it is in the process. Well, then let's talk about, we head toward Election Day, and we have those three days of early uh, excused, I guess, or no need for an excuse mm -hmm. early voting, right? Yeah, we've kept those. Those are now permanent by statute. Those days will be November 3rd through 5th. That's Thursday, Friday, and Saturday before Election Day. And there were, is it likely in a lot of our counties that those locations may be different or there may not be as many as there will be on Election Day itself? So these county plans are subject to change every every election unless they open up every precinct which about a quarter of counties have done uh, the other three quarters basically every election they come up with a new plan and they submit it to frankfurt for approval and uh, those plans have been approved so if you have questions come to our website or visit your county clerk's website to see what those locations are so it's different county each county exactly you can also uh, get with your local folks right that's right your county clerk is actually the designer of this 
uh, products. So check with your county clerk or check our website. We're going to post all those county plans. What obligations do county clerks have who are themselves running for re-election or, uh, you know, or on the ballot in November? Uh, in terms of overseeing the election that they're a part of? They've got the same uh, requirements that I've got myself next year when I'm on the ballot for re-election for this office, which is obviously you can't do anything that's a conflict of interest. Your job is to fairly uh, participate and count those votes. But we have checks and bounces in Kentucky. The county clerk doesn't just run the election by himself or herself. The county clerk is on a, is on a county board of elections with the sheriff with a Democrat appointed by the local party, with a Republican appointed by the local party. So there are checks and balances. No one can steal an election. Kentucky has a, a history of election misdeeds, however. We know Certainly. that. The publisher of the newspaper in McGoffin County is offering $3,000 to anyone who presents credible evidence of vote buying. Uh, there were federal convictions in that county just a few years ago. Is vote buying still a, a problem and a, and a thing in Kentucky? We did not see evidence of that in the primary. And I'll, I'll level with you, uh, if we were going to have any election with significant fraud in my term, it was going to be this year and probably in that primary. The reason is uh, vote fraud doesn't happen in Kentucky in major races. It's just not feasible to flip a race that has a large number of voters in it. Uh, vote fraud in Kentucky historically happens at the local level. It's usually in a primary. It's usually in a small town or county because it takes just a few votes to flip the outcome. And usually the office that's being pursued is one that has patronage or contract power. And so it's a perfect storm for fraud. Uh, so I'm working with the Attorney General very closely. We are monitoring uh, certain counties that have a history, unfortunately, of misdeeds. Uh, they're primarily in Eastern Kentucky. We were pleasantly surprised to see that in uh, the primary it was totally clean. And we're hoping for the same in November. You went on a tour to essentially denounce uh, those who cast a lot of doubts about the election system uh, in Kentucky and nationwide. Do you believe that uh, Kentucky voters can largely have confidence in the system? Uh, I believe they can and they do. I think uh, reasonable people who don't have uh, a suffering from paranoia generally about vaccines and about votes and about everything in life. I think most people are persuaded that we had pretty good elections before, but we have even better elections now. Let me give you one example of how this mass paranoia is beginning to impact our process. We've had an, a recount ordered in Oldham County in a race that was decided back in May. The State House Speaker David Osborne trounced his opponent by 36 points. She's demanded a recount. She's been suing us for months. And now that recount's been scheduled for October 21st, right before voting starts. And she is asking the court to strike down the certification that we issued of David Osborne as the winner of his primary. So when these people brought these lawsuits, their goal, they said, was just to check the tech. It's not. It's disrupt our election and overturn election results. We can't have that. Do you think it's coordinated uh, nationally, uh, that those kinds of uh, recount requests? Uh, it's certainly a national phenomenon, and we're seeing it in other states. In 2020 and 2021, it really was limited to swing states that were up for grabs in the presidential contest. Uh, but now this has gone to all 50. I spent time with my colleagues over this uh, year in other states in the same job I have, and we're all dealing with this, unfortunately, in our own states. In, and specifically in our state, this was really kind of a quiet thing until the pillow guy took some shots at us at a national conference. And then we began to see hundreds of requests filed by people uh, who just word for word took what the pillow guy said on his website and put it into an email and sent us uh, as demands to see our equipment and get in it and expect it and 
you can't do that. Well, Mr. Secretary, as you've noted, you're running for re-election next year, and you've taken that stance that you've just taken, that the election uh, system is, is uh, fair and runs well in Kentucky, and that there were no major problems, I take it, in the 2020 elections. What you're saying, as you know, former President uh, Donald Trump carried Kentucky uh, easily and has continued to say that he won that election. Does your position put you in any peril with Republican voters as you face a primary next May, if you do? Well, I do face a primary. I'm, as far as I can tell, I'm the first Republican incumbent Secretary of State to ever have a primary, which I'm not thrilled about, but, you know, it's democracy. It is what it is. Uh, I can tell you this. We've gotten no criticism from the former president, and, in fact, Eric Trump came to Kentucky a few weeks ago and said Kentucky had no fraud, that Kentucky was outside uh, the ambit of the states where they have had concerns. So I, I certainly take my race seriously. I will take it very seriously and be well prepared for it. Is it difficult to campaign in the current environment that's out there? It's difficult to be an incumbent Republican in this environment, for sure. It's not just me. I think all of us are, are dealing with it. I'm just the only incumbent who's running for re-election, so I deal with it uniquely. But you're kind of in a, a tough spot being an incumbent Republican because Democrats, of course, are going to be against you, but also there's a certain fringe on the right that just are against the swamp, the government, the deep state, whatever they want to call you. So you're kind of stuck in the middle. Where do we go from here in voting? You know, people bank and pay their bills online. Is it important that voting still be done in a way where it can be observed by officials and that it that we we're not ready to go there uh, in terms of the, the convenience that young people might want and it might uh, increase their turnout. Well, in private practice about a dozen years ago, 14 years ago, I did a race in Washington State for governor and actually Washington State allowed internet voting in 2008. That was a while ago. They got rid of it because it wasn't secure and because voters didn't trust it. Uh, I think it's pretty telling that in Kentucky post-COVID after we had an election in 2020 that was mostly absentee voting in the primary and largely even in the general, uh, coming into 2021 in special elections and then again in this primary, statewide primary, 96 to 98 percent of voters voted in person. Far more than 2 percent of our voters, 4 percent of our voters qualify to vote absentee based on their age, their health, what have you. They still want to vote in person. That's just a cultural thing that Kentucky has. And this, there's no right or wrong. I don't care how people choose to vote. But clearly this is our policy preference as a state. All right, Mr. Secretary, thanks for coming. My uh, pleasure. Hopefully have a, uh, everything goes smoothly uh, in the November 8th election, right? Thank you. Thank you. Stay with us now. We're going to hear about uh, the happenings out of Keeneland. And a lot is going on with the fall meet underway and, of course, the Breeders' Cup coming up in November. Shannon Arvin joins us next on Kentucky Newsmakers. We welcome you back to Kentucky Newsmakers. Glad you're along. The horses are running at Keeneland during one of the most beautiful fall meets in memory. And while the track thoroughly enjoys hosting its guests for the meet, preparations are also in full swing for the Breeders' Cup World Championships on November 4th and 5th. The Breeders' Cup was held in Lexington in 2015 and in 2020, although two years ago no fans were allowed, so it will be the full experience this time. And all of this coming off a record September yearling sale. Joining us is Keeneland President 
President Shannon Bishop Arvin, the first woman to ever run the historic and iconic track. Thanks for coming in. We appreciate it very much. Thanks so much for having me here. What a busy time and what a wonderful fall meet going on. I mean, uh, you couldn't ask for better weather, right? We could not. <laughs> we were trying to remember the last time that the weather had been that perfect and we couldn't recall. It's, it just was a beautiful weekend start to finish. And uh, the numbers are good on attendance and, and so on. The numbers on attendance are strong. I think Central Kentucky was ready to come out and welcome us back, which was great. Uh, you capped the crowd at 20,000. Initially, that was a COVID response. Mm -hmm. But uh, is that going to be permanent? I mean, it seems to be the right size crowd, right? You know, what we found, and we looked at each other a couple times over the weekend and said, this crowd is just ideal. It was enough people there so that you really felt the energy and excitement that you want to feel when you're at a sporting event like that, but you weren't waiting excessively long times to get a hot dog or use a restroom or place a bet. So it felt really like the right number, and that's one of our lessons from COVID. We never would have thought to try a lesser capacity, but it worked very well. Yearling sales figures topped $405 million, and that was in September, just before the, the meet got underway. Does that send a good signal, or what does it say about the, the health of the horse racing industry? Well, it probably says, first of all, that we don't follow the stock market right. <laughs> precisely. Um, <laughs> It, I think it says a lot about the state of racing in Kentucky and really the country and the world. You know, we have people from over 26 countries this time that came to our sales and participated in the sales. Um, the purse structure in Kentucky is really, really strong. And I think it's a time where people from top to bottom, every level of the market are seeing opportunity and the possibility to have a successful, lucrative situation when they buy a racehorse. Keeneland attracts crowds of all ages. Uh, how do you stay relevant to all the generations? You, you have folks there in their 80s and you have uh, uh, people in their 20s and, and so on who are glad to be there as well. Yeah, that's a great question. We spend a lot of time talking about it. Um, we tend to trend to the older crowd and so we spend a lot of time focusing on ways to keep the younger crowd interested. We're really fortunate at Keeneland because it's so much a part of the community that we at Keeneland don't have a a lot of issues attracting fans of all ages. You know, we have um, Saturday morning sunrise trackside where we have a lot of children's activities so children can come out and meet the jockeys and see the horses working out and see paddock demonstrations and get to get really close to a horse, which we think is where it all starts and becoming lifelong fans. And you have uh, leaned into social media and technology in recent years, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that uh, uh, that's where a lot of the young crowd uh, is now. We definitely have and we have deployed our broadcast team as well as our marketing team. They've worked together very closely. They actually set up um, a, an entire room during the sales and during the race meet that is devoted exclusively to catching those moments where people and horses meet and touch and showing that really special magical relationship and trying to convey that on social media. And speaking of a special relationship, uh, the Queen's passing uh, mm -hmm. certainly brought back memories for so many. She seemed to, to genuinely enjoy her time at Keeneland. Mm -hmm. She certainly loved horses and, and the sport of racing. She was such a tremendous horsewoman, and I think everybody was struck. I heard people of all ages saying, you know, she really did live a good long life, and often when somebody her age passes away, it might be something that we were expecting, but everybody has felt just such a sadness at her passing because I think she represents just the pinnacle of sportsmanship, and she helped us find ways to celebrate our sport and it's really it we are we were very sorry to hear of her passing we actually have planted some cherry trees in the infield in her honor so 
um, it's a way that we'll continue that connection and continue talking about her legacy at Keeneland. How are you getting ready for a Breeders' Cup and, and, and what kind of honor is it to Keeneland to, to be able to host that event? It's a huge honor. Breeders' Cup and Keeneland are two organizations whose mission is very similar and that's really to perpetuate the very best in horse racing. So. The Breeders' Cup coming to Keeneland for the third time shows their confidence in us. We are really close partners with them. Um, we'll have 14 races over the two days with purses in excess of $30 million, and it is truly welcoming the world to Central Kentucky. So it is a tremendous couple of days for people in the horse industry, but also the community. We'll have the Breeders' Cup Festival from October 30th through November 5th, and there will be a lot of activities that people throughout Lexington that can become involved in and really experience the excitement of this international event. Is all of that uh, on site, or will some of that spread out? It's spread out throughout yeah. throughout the city, and you'll see lots of um, there. There will be lots of schedules out there that'll show you exactly where it's going to be. What kind of turnaround is that from the from the meet to Breeders' Cup uh, in just a matter of days? It's a quick one. It's a quick one, but our team's ready. We've got we've got our crews ready to go into action on Saturday night, right after the meet closes, to turn the place over and make it ready for Breeders' Cup. So it'll be great. We are we've if you've driven out to Keeneland, you've seen that we've got lots of temporary facilities up that don't look very temporary. They're chalets. They're we were laughing this morning that they're too expensive to call tents. So they are chalets. <laughs> Um, and we'll be able to seat about 7,500 additional people in premium seating. And we also have loge boxes set up in the front, which allow us to seat about 1,800 additional people. So it allows us to expand our capacity in a way that people can still have a really first-class experience. Have you had the, the workforce challenges that uh, most businesses have had uh, recently? We definitely have struggled with those. I will say this year it is so much better than last year. We we employ about 200 people year-round and then during our race meet we swell to about 2200 so that's a big lift every time that a that a sales and race meet season comes around but we have been really pleased with the response to our Requests for employees. People have been coming to our job fairs, and I think we're going to be in good shape and ready to welcome the world. What else should people know about this meet as we're now into the weekend as this program is airing and looking ahead to the to the rest of the meet? What what else will be happening? We have a lot of quality racing ahead of us. Um, our first weekend, we actually had 11 of our 22 stakes races. Nine of those were Breeders' Cup win and your end. So we'll, we hope we'll see nine of the winners of those races again the first weekend of Breeders' Cup. Um, we have 11 stakes races left. We're giving away a total of an excess of $8 million in purses. We have Make-A-Wish Day on Thursday, which is one of my favorite days out at the track, where we really give each, each race is dedicated to a child who's facing really difficult circumstances. So we give them the VIP treatment and welcome their family out. We have College Scholarship Day on Friday. Um, we're going to honor heroes, military heroes, on October 23rd. And for the first time this year, on October 29th, we are welcoming educators and teachers who will be able to come in with free general admission. Oh, well deserved. Uh, as we uh, look in the spring, you know, you can see that, mm -hmm. well, this horse could end up at the Derby, or mm -hmm. this, you know, there are those stakes races that can mm -hmm. go into that summer of mm -hmm. racing. What, in the fall, what, what, are you, what are you playing for? Well, a lot of people are playing for the Breeders' Cup, for sure, but some of those same horses are ones that you also may see in the spring. The Friday Breeders' Cup is actually focused on Future Stars, so Future Stars Friday, they call it. So a lot of those those juveniles, those two-year-olds, we very well may see racing into the 
spring. Interesting. Keeneland is involved in some other ventures that extend the brand out mm -hmm. uh, way into the state. Uh, the Mint Gaming Facility up and running in Williamsburg, soon a track to be completed in Corbin. Uh, how are those uh, ventures rolling out so far? They're going very well. We are um, excited to be a part of those facilities which expand racing throughout the state and provide a lot of really important funding th for our purse structure which in turn help make our sales as strong as they've been. Your father and grandfather both held key positions at uh, mm -hmm. Keeneland, it's, uh, so it's literally in your blood. Uh, what does it mean to you to have the opportunity to lead Keeneland at this time and when things seem to be going very well? You know, it's such an honor and we do not take for granted how well they are going and how fortunate we are to be supported by the community and really the international equine world um, and I certainly think about my dad and grandfather a lot. I'll tell you what makes the biggest difference in any venture that you're doing is the team that surrounds you and we have the best team I can possibly imagine at Keeneland so I just feel grateful every day to be surrounded by true professionals that really we all feel like we are part of something bigger than ourselves by being at Keeneland and we are doing all we can to be good stewards and leave it better than we found it. And well aware that uh, you're a big part of the Kentucky overall brand, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. It's I think Kentucky is so fortunate to have the signature industries of racing and bourbon. We're known for that everywhere I go in the world. Tickets to Keeneland and the Breeders' Cup, mm -hmm. uh, hard to come by at this point? They are still available um, at Keeneland for um, our the rest of our race meet. You can get your tickets online. It is important to get them in advance because we are sold out in some on some days. But I would encourage people to keep checking back even if they see a day that's sold out, appears sold out, because people can return their tickets within outside of 48 hours. So you may find additional seats. There are also seats still available for Breeders' Cup. They're becoming more limited, so I would get them quickly, but there are seats still available. What are any big challenges ahead for horse racing? You know, I think some of the biggest challenges are just working to show people how special our sport is and helping them to become interested and see that connection between the horse and the human and see how fabulous these majestic animals are. I think that's one of our challenges, just continuing to distinguish ourselves from other sports and remaining on the front line. Shannon Harvin, President of Keeneland, thanks for coming by. We really appreciate it. Thanks very much. During the meet, we're lucky we got you in here. Thanks for having <laughs> Thank me, you. Bill. And we'll be back on Kentucky Newsmakers in a moment. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. We have a lively race for mayor going on in Lexington and tomorrow evening, that is Monday evening at 7, WKYT will present a debate on the CW Lexington. Mayor Linda Gorton and her challenger David Kloiber will be with us for an hour answering a variety of questions. Again, 7 o'clock on Monday evening on the CW Lexington for that and of course coverage on WKYT News. That's Kentucky Newsmakers. Thank you for joining us. Make it a good week ahead.